I pray, Lord, that you help us today to hear what you got to say. I pray, Lord, that what we hear will bring about faith in our lives. I pray that that faith will empower us to obey you. And I pray that that obedience will release incredible blessing in our lives. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. You can have a seat or keep standing. I'm kind of fired up, so I don't care. <sighs> Oh, man. Listen, if this is your first Sunday uh, and you're like, I got an appointment at 11.01. If you get done before me, it's okay. Don't worry. Oh, man. Today, uh, we're talking about Elijah. We're getting back into our series on Elijah. And our, our, our core question is going to be on the issue of, of who's your God. Before I dive in, though, it's a couple things I need to do. I know it's kind of a busy Sunday. We have a lot of things going on. Um, the graduates, man, we're proud of those. I was looking at those parents go, I know every one of them thought about killing them at some point. <laughs> that was a thought I had. I mean, I'm not saying that's a word from the Lord. I'm saying it's a thought I had. Uh, I was looking at those teachers going, they probably thought about killing them too. I'm just kidding. Because it's not like any of those teenagers had an easy road to get there either. So uh, great job, everybody. We do have two couples that, so like next Sunday is Memorial Day weekend, and I don't know if you've lived in Wyoming long or been here long, but what happens in Wyoming Memorial Day weekend is everyone goes to the mountains to get back into winter for a weekend. <laughs> They're like, I'm so sick of spring, I'm going to winter. It happens, every, and so it's, it's just kind of, kind of how it goes. But Steve and Louise Wright, who have served on our leadership team, I believe this is their last weekend, and they're headed to Tennessee, which is where I come from. So psh, a few years, they'll be acting just like me. And uh, so you can pray for them. And uh, so, and then also uh, Keith and Wendy Compton, been with us for many years. Uh, They're headed off to Gillette, you know, because they need some razors. And uh, no, I'm just kidding, that's not right. So if you, if you know them, just know that they're headed out here soon and you should uh, either get your buys in, goodbyes in, bless them, encourage them, so forth. Just a lot going on today. So who is your God? We're talking today about an issue, the issue of worship. Now, uh, I'm going to start with the cat. Please hear what I'm going to say, because I will stir up some trouble today. Uh, I, I may create some inner conflict. That's what I'm trying to do. No, no, that's what I'm trying to do. Um, but here's what you need to know. At the end of this message, I am going to ask you to make that call in your life. You choose who your God is. But I also want to put a caveat in there. I realize that sometimes things take a little bit of a journey and I want to respect that. And I don't want to dishonor or disrespect you because my word, the Bible that I read, that should be the same one you read, says that we honor everyone. So I don't want to be disrespectful today. But I am going to be straight up honest with you. Is that okay? Doesn't matter if it is or not, but I like to ask it. It sounds good. What is worship? Worship is, uh, worship, uh, a, di a dictionary definition is to, to regard something uh, with great or extravagant respect, honor, or devotion. And so when I read that, I'm like, yeah, that's about as helpful as a screen door in a submarine. That doesn't really tell me what worship is. So I began to chew on what is worship? What do we do with the things that we worship? And so uh, the Michael Maynard process is, is when, when we begin to worship something, we begin to learn about it. We begin to reflect upon it. At some point, believe it or not, there comes a season where we pray to it, about it. 
Uh, then there comes a time when we praise, like we celebrate it, and even there comes a point where we evangelize it. Now, when God is who you worship, this works great. You learn about God. And you, maybe you learn, you, you connect with the Bible, you connect with some scriptures, you connect with some people. And God's word, through his Holy Spirit, begins to interpret that word. Because that's the only way you're going to know God through the Bible, is when the Holy Spirit cracks open its wonders to you. Intellect is not how you rightly divide the word of truth. And so you begin to learn. And then as you learn things, you begin to reflect for a lot of reasons. A lot of times what you're learning about God creates indigestion. I mean, you begin to wonder, uh, God, is, God is different from you. And most people don't realize that. Most people think that God is pretty much just like them, just more powerful. And he's not. He's completely alien to you, completely foreign to you. And so you learn and you begin to reflect on the differences between you and God and the way that you and God think. And as you begin to learn and reflect, then you begin to pray. At some point, even if you don't know what you're doing, you begin to go, well, God, is that, is that true? Is that what you're like? This, this process of, of worship. Eventually, prayer turns into praise because God begins to reveal himself. I call it, the Bible calls it revelation. You begin to comprehend. Maybe he answers prayers. Maybe he blesses your life, but it still turns into this thing of praise. And then what happens as you begin to get to know God and you find out he's amazing, he's the, most, he's the only thing worthy of worship, and he, you begin to celebrate these answers, you begin to evangelize. You begin to other, tell other people, man, God's amazing. I've had these questions and challenges in my life, and God's amazing. Now, I think this is a very surface-level look at what worship is, very, but I think it's something we can all wrap our heads around. Here's the problem. The problem is as long as God is the focus of that, you are good to go. If anything else fills in the blank besides God, you have a problem. For example, my wife and I are trying to learn how to garden. Laugh if you want to. It's hilarious, okay? Um, and so, what if we put garden in the God blank? And we begin to learn about gardening. And there is a lot to learn, I have discovered. I really thought you just threw stuff in the dirt, watered it, and it grew. Where I come from, you just threw it in the dirt and it grew. It didn't even, you didn't have to water it, okay? But here, if you don't water things, they will die. Even kids. It's weird. Strange. So, you begin to learn about gardening. Then we think about what we've learned. And, and maybe that, you know, for us, it's, you know, what kind of gardening and, and should we start early? Then as we learn about it, reflect on it, say, now, Michael, what about the prayer part? Are you really going to pray to your garden? Not in a, so many words, but... Sometimes you are looking at that garden going, oh, grow? Could you please do something besides just lay there? And then it does grow. And then you get that big juicy beefsteak tomato that you grew yourself. It sounds really good. Anybody else like tomato and mayonnaise sandwiches? Just you know, Hallelujah, bless God. And I'm pretty sure that they had those in the Garden of Eden. Anyway. And then you, you begin to praise, and then you begin to evangelize. And, you know, have you ever thought about gardening? 
You should think about growing your own garden so you can have your own delicious fruits and vegetables and these kind of things. Say, Michael, that's a silly analogy. It is. Because worshiping anything besides God is silly. You see, if you put anything else in that, in that blank and perform those acts, then you begin to worship that thing. Now, am I saying you can't learn, reflect, and grow in any other skills? Of course I'm not saying that. My wife and I are learning to garden. However, the difference is this. If God is the one I worship, then I garden as an act of worship. I go to church as an act of worship. Why? Because God is filling out my big blank. That's who I worship. That's decided. How well my garden does or does not do does not change the big name of G-O-D in the blank of my life. Does that make sense? However, if I'm living my life and anything I'm doing could change the name in that blank, then the Bible calls that idolatry. It means I'm worshiping something that's not God. Okay? Now, this is important (laughs) in our lives because we live in a world that's been polytheistic historically. What does that mean? It means there are thousands of gods out there. People have invented a God for everything. Now, here's the thing. Now, follow me closely, and and I don't know if I have any good jokes to keep your attention, so just work. We can do this, okay? I I believe in you. Uh, Anyway, so every now and then I have these weird voices and uh, accents come out of my head, and I I don't know where they come from, and so I think it's the Holy Spirit, but anyway. uh, So, I think there are actually only two gods. I think there are actually only two. Yes, there are thousands of gods throughout the religions of the world, but I think there are only actually two. I think there's the one true God that you don't get to define. I'll come back to that. And I believe the other God is you. I think you're the other God. Why? Because all forms of idolatry are trying to get a God to give you what you want. That's what idolatry is about. Idolatry is about getting what I want. Get, sometimes we idolatrize God to try and make him serve us. Now, some of you are sitting there going, I'm not sure I'm following you. Some of you are sitting there going, oh, I'm in trouble. Some of you are going, that's pretty good. <clears throat> well, bear with me. I think that Elijah is going to open our eyes on all of this. But bottom line, where I'm coming from today is this. I hope it makes sense. Either you have a God who is the true God, or you are a God. And I think you're probably a wonderful person, but I know you are a terrible God. Okay? All right? Okay. All right. Now, if you're still with me, and I know that's the big danger here is that false gods, no matter what your purpose is, they always promise the very things they take away. False gods always promise the very things that they take away. Now, we're coming into a story today about the nation of Israel. And they have been in trouble for a long time at this point in the story, a couple hundred years. But because of 200 years of not really caring that much about the true God, they've landed this guy on the throne of Israel who has passively allowed evil to grow. And now he's actively fanning the flames of evil in the nation of Israel. And the nation of Israel has begun to worship a God that that your Bible text is probably calling Baal. Baal just means Lord. 
And so sometimes there are passages in the Hebrew where the word Baal is referring to, to God. But that's not what the story is in Elijah. In Elijah, they're talking about a specific entity named Baal. And he, his job, he is the god of uh, fertility, both of farming and of humanity. Their worship had become incredibly immoral, wicked, and I'm not going to go into detail because we try to keep this rated PG to PG-13 depending on the Sunday, okay? <laughs> but it was bad. And uh, the things they were doing as acts of worship were evil. But the people wanted the promise of Baal. He promised great harvests, and he promised fertility among the people and all those kind of things. But he took those things away through worship. So let's drive into the backstory of Elijah. Now, if you were with us last week, uh, cool, you're ahead of the story. Let me catch up everyone else, all right? Elijah, little scrawny dude from backside of nowhere, stands up before a king. No one knows who he is. He says, hey, in the name of the living God, the God that I serve, it's not going to rain for the next three and a half years. No rain. Everyone, ha, 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 what do you know, short little scrawny dude? Then he runs off and he hides in the wilderness, okay? While he's hiding in the wilderness, no rain. No rain for a month. No rain for six months. No rain for a year, two years, three years, three and a half years. No rain. Now everybody knows who Elijah is. Where's the scrawny dude? That's what they're thinking to themselves. So he's been hiding out on a creek bed after that prophecy. They were worshiping a weather god, and now this little nobody had messed up the weather god's ability to make weather. Pretty hilarious. Let's come back to that all right. later, all right? The truth is, though, that Baal didn't bring rain. Baal brought pain and loss. Now, how we need, to, we need to see something in the story that's kind of important for us today. You got Elijah as a character. Last week we talked about Ahab. Today we're dealing more with his prophets, but there's another player named Jezebel. But in the middle of all that are all these ordinary, normal people who are trying to survive. When you read these fantastic Bible stories, these incredible miracles, please do not lose sight that at the core of every story are ordinary, normal people who are just trying to figure out how to live. The problem with the nation of Israel is this. They were almost 200 years removed from anybody teaching them consistently and faithfully who they were as the chosen people of God. You see, the nation of Israel had a backstory of power, visitation by God, deliverance from bondage, uh, preservation in the wilderness, victory in Canaan. I mean, they had a backstory of incredible miracles and power because they were God's people. And now they're sitting under a king and a queen who have brought in another God, Baal. And this God is promising crops and promising immorality and things like that. He's making these promises to them. And they haven't abandoned they haven't abandoned the God they were raised to follow or should have been raised to follow, but they haven't followed him either. 
And then you have this other guy on the side, this Baal, this other Lord who's competing with Jehovah. And the people are in the middle, and to be honest with you, they don't know what to do. Because at the end of the day, if you're a dad or a mom and you got a passel of kids, do you guys know what passel means? Uh, like a bunch? All right, that's good. Um, at the end of the day, all you care about is how am I going to feed this crew? And how am I going to take care of my family? And so the nation of Israel is divided and it's broken and it's straddling the fence. You ever heard the expression straddling the fence? You're trying to live with one foot in one world and one foot in another world. And one day you realize the fence is barbed wire and this is a terrible idea. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know where that came from. I just kind of fell out. They were straddling the fence. They didn't really reject God outright, but they didn't reject Baal either. And that's, that's what we have to resolve among ourselves today. You students who've you've got through that phase of education and you're ready to move on to the next phase of education, whether that's academically or in the workforce or whatever that looks like for you. The most important question in your life you have to wrestle with, answer, and get locked down as soon as possible is who is your God? That's what has to be resolved. You can't go through life serving two gods. You can't go through life serving the God, who's the true God of the Bible, and yourself. You can't do both. You can live your life as an act of worship to God. And that's wonderful and beautiful. But you cannot live your life always putting God to the test. Always evaluating God going, well, today we're going to decide whether or not you get to be God in my life. And if you make the choices I like, you get to be. And if you don't, you don't. That's not good. That doesn't work. So you have to answer that question in your life of who is your God. You see, because I think a, a, lot, of, a lot of things in our life, we're dabbling when we need to be committed. I grew up in a very religious culture. I grew up in the buckle of the Bible Belt South. Uh, church was like, every, not, not everybody, but most people went to church on Sunday. And if you didn't, we looked down on you, okay? That's just what we did. Was that right? No, no. Anytime that your faith propagates pride and judgment upon others, that's a fruit of the flesh and not the fruit of the spirit. That's not legitimate. But that was the culture I grew up in. It was religious, but it wasn't relational and it wasn't powerful. That doesn't mean it couldn't have been. The individual's choice is what makes it relational and powerful, not the religion you're in. And so I grew up in that, that culture, but God revealed himself to me in such ways that I realized, oh, he's God and I'm not. And it, may, it became very wonderful to come to know a God who is infinite and there is no end of knowing him. And so today I want you to wrestle with that question. And some of you already have and you know who your God is. And yes, I'm probably going to have a zinger here or there. What's a zinger? Well, they stinger a little bit. Uh, so. <laughs> but at the end of the day, you need to know who your God is. And guess what? You don't have to prove it to me because I'm not God. I'm just an ordinary guy who teaches the Bible. And uh, so that's what I'm going to do today. So. Israel didn't know what to do with God, but God knew what to do with them. 
First Kings 18. Elijah's kind of backstory on Elijah is he, you know, he's a prophet. So what he does is he walks around and uh, stirs up trouble. <laughs> That's what he does. He goes and tells people things they don't want to hear. All right. So he's been hiding for three and a half years. Everybody hates him because they think he's the problem in the land. So first Kings 18, Elijah shows up. He says to, uh, the Bible tells us in first Kings 18, Ahab saw Elijah and he exclaimed, so is it really you, you troublemaker of Israel? I've made no trouble for Israel, Elijah replied. This sounds so much like a fight my kids had when they lived at home, man. I'm t- you're the troublemaker. No, you're the troublemaker. Anyway, you and your family are the troublemakers, for you have refused to obey the commands of the Lord and have worshipped the images of Baal instead. So, this is pretty bold of Elijah to just stand down against a, a king. And in that time, the king, this king had power to snuff your life out, man. He, he could end you. No problem at all. So Elijah stands up to him and, and, and begins to, to uh, present the truth. Now, here's the thing. I don't get where people's heads are sometimes, okay? Ahab and Jezebel, they worship Baal. That's their god. And Elijah, which means Jehovah's alive or uh, Jehovah's exalted, I can't remember exactly what it means, but he was, you know, my God is Jehovah is basically what it means. Here's Elijah, and he says it's not going to rain, and now old Baal can't get any rain past Elijah. That's what's going on in Ahab and Jezebel's mind, that, that somehow this little scrawny prophet Elijah is tripping up Baal. He's stopping Baal from bringing the rain and, and all this kind of stuff. He's a... He's, Poor old Baal just couldn't get it past him. <laughs> Evil always believes that righteousness is the problem. Yeah, that's right. You should write that down. Evil always believes that righteousness is the problem. It's those believers. It's those God followers who are ruining our fun. They're so judgmental. It's so critical. I just want to worship myself and be happy. All right, personal inflection here, reflection, whatever you want to call it, something with flecting in it. I've talked to several people after a service at Ordinary Faith over the years. I, I do it every chance I get. And I've had people come in that have come from a lot of pain, a lot of hurt over the years. And when I would sit down and talk to them, not all the time, but often I get this story, this reflection, I guess. I want to come to church, but I feel so judged. And that shocks me. That shocks me because I'm like, dude, we started Ordinary Faith to just beat that problem right there. And if you feel judged, sit down with any one of us. We'll tell you 20 reasons why you shouldn't feel judged by us. We're just as messed up as you are. (sighs) But I think the Lord told me what's going on. I was praying about this many times. And I I think this is what Father said. I think he said, said, Michael, they're not feeling judged because you guys are judging them. They're feeling judged internally. They're feeling judged because they are under judgment. You see, when you feel like you deserve judgment and you're walking around under shame and guilt, it doesn't matter what anybody says to you you will put the lens and the megaphone of criticism and judgment on whatever their words are. 
Am I saying we couldn't do better? Oh yeah, we can always do better at embracing loving people and, and helping them. But what I'm saying is this, when people who love God, when you're feeling judgments for them, from them, it may not be judgment from them, it might be judgment in you that you need to be free of. And if we're doing our job well, then our job is to help you get free of guilt and shame. And so evil always believes that righteousness is the problem. So Elijah presents a, uh, a problem-solving gathering, a, a meeting of the minds, if you will. In 1 Kings chapter 18, Elijah says, Now summon all of Israel to join me at Mount Carmel along with the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who are supported by Jezebel. So Ahab summoned all the people of Israel and the prophets to Mount Carmel. Rumble on the mountain. This sounds like fun, doesn't it? I mean, <laughs> this, this guy who was depressed in the river creek, now he is, he's on point, you know, he's ready. God's showing him what to do. Three and a half years that arrived, and he goes to Ahab, says, all right, man, I'm not the problem, you're the problem, let's have a showdown. Let's do this, toe to toe, let's stand and face each other. And so, I want you to see here, <laughs> this very simple reality, that there are only two teams, there are only two teams. In this story, we have Elijah versus Ahab. You have the God followers, the sons of God, the, the people of Israel versus the people of Baal. But that is the story forever and always. It is always God's people and everyone else. It's always that way. There's only two teams. There are only ever two teams. Jesus called them the sheep. And the goats. Paul talked about the light and the dark. He talked about grace and works. Uh, there are only God followers and God fighters. Here's what am I trying to say? Because some of you are sitting there going, well, yeah, no big deal. Here's what you need to know. There is no uh, demilitarized zone. There is no neutral ground. There are no uninvolved parties. You are on a side either by choice or by neglect. You are on a team right now. <laughs> you are. Like, well, I, I mean, I don't really follow God, but I don't have anything against him. Yes, you do. There are only two teams. And that's what we're seeing borne out in this story. And so you have to pick a team. You got Jezebel's team. By the way, her name means, Jezebel's name means Baal exalts. Baal exalts. And so... Uh, it's funny because, you know, Elijah's name means Jehovah is, is God, Jehovah's my God, Baal exalts. One of those, Elijah has a God he serves, and Jezebel has a God who serves her. Baal exalts who? Uh, me. <clears throat> and so you have this going down, this smackdown, the rumble in the jungle at Mount Carmel. Okay, it's not a jungle there, but still, uh, it's, it sounds cool to say that, and uh, I'm old enough to remember that. So, well, not quite, but still, you know. <clears throat> So they bring them all together. So you have the prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Baal, 450 prophets of Asherah. Notice that the government-supported and sponsored religion was anything that wasn't God. <laughs> that, just as long as it's not God, you're hired. <clears throat> that's, that's all they cared about. So they gather at Mount Carmel, and it's on. You've got 850 prophets, Ahab, and you've got on one side, you've got scrawny little Elijah. By the way, I have no idea if he's scrawny. It's just funnier that way in my mind. <laughs> And guess what you have in the middle? The ordinary people. 
the normal folks. And uh, you have this nation of people who've been led astray. And here's the thing. Many of them that are in that crowd are too young to know life without Baal. They're too young to know a life where Jehovah was the God of the nation of Israel and the only God of the nation of Israel. And so you have this, this big divide. And the Bible tells us uh, what Elijah told him to do. You call in the name of your God. He's laying out the battle plan here. I'll call in the name of the Lord, the God who answers. And the God who answers by setting fire to the wood is the true God. And everyone agreed to the terms of the contest. So I don't know if you are following this or not, but all the people in the valley, we're on Mount Carmel. The bad guys over here, 850 of them, plus Ahab and his entourage. And then over here you have Elijah just kind of standing there by himself looking awkward. And, uh, and the terms of the contest is, you guys pray and I'll pray. And whichever God answers by fire, that's probably the right one. <sighs> and so this is, these are the terms. No one could help. No one could bring their lighters. None of those kinds of things. Then Elijah stood in front of them and said, How much longer will you waver, hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. Pause. There's one more line. I wholeheartedly agree with this statement. If your God isn't big enough to stand up against the bigger, some other God, it's the wrong one. Okay? Your God has to be big, bigger than you. That's right. So Elijah says, if the Lord's God, follow him. If Baal's God, then follow him. You, by the way, <laughs> before I read this last line, you really don't have to worry about God's reputation. You don't have to make him look good. You can't make him look bad. You need to understand that. You don't have to protect God from your circumstances. And you have people in your life facing hard questions. You don't have to worry whether or not God can handle them. You can't. Now, will he handle them the way you want? He won't. <laughs> but you don't have to worry about God. What I want you to see, though, and the, what, the reason I delayed this was the final question is, is that the final sentences, but the people were completely silent. I need you to see that the people didn't know what to do. They, had, they didn't have good information. They, didn't, they weren't given the heritage of their faith. And if they were, they did not walk into it and own it themselves. And if I could talk to you graduates for a minute, the parents your faith gave you has to grow into the life God gives to you. You cannot survive on your parents' faith. It will not work. You'll abandon it. You have to grow into your faith. Hey, parents, you got to be okay with that. My parents are independent fundamental Baptists. It annoys them greatly that I teach out of anything that's not King James. All right? I love my parents. I also love annoying my parents. That's not why I do it. But it's funny, but that's not why I do it. Why I do it is because they gave me their faith. And then God grew me into my own faith. And that's how it has to be. Because your children can't know the story of your life the way you know it. They can't know how your faith applies to what you walked. And parents, even though you know more than them by experience, you cannot know their journey like they know it either. 
And I, I long for a day when the generations begin to communicate again without the arrogance of, I know more than you and I don't have to listen to you. It needs to go both ways, though. <sighs> Michael, you're on a soapbox right now. That's right. That's right. I am. One day I hope that parents will listen to their kids and kids will listen to their parents and that our grandchildren and great-grandchildren will be blessed by those efforts. Amen? That was an extra sermon. Just threw it in there for free. Um, It's just going to cost you a little bit more time on the end. (laughs) What's the point of this God contest? Why do we have Elijah and Ahab standing off in this field and all the people in the middle? Sometimes we read the Old Testament with this lens of judgment and criticism, and we miss the treasures in these valleys. You see, if God were like most people think God is, he would just let Israel do what they wanted. Oh, you don't want me? Fine. Take your little old Baal over there and starve to death. I don't care. If God were like most people thought God was, that's exactly what he would do. But you know what is the problem with God? He never stops chasing you. That's right. He is so annoying. You say, Michael, that's rude. Now, I know I tried. God gave me a calling when I was young. I didn't want it. I'm like, that's not what I, I, I prefer wealth and other things. That is not what I want. And you know what God does? God's like, okay, here, you figure out a few things. You go ahead and take your little walk to the wild side. And uh, I'll come back and show up and see how it went for you. And he always shows up. He always comes back. He never stops coming. The nation of Israel basically told God to take a walk. And God says, no, I'm not taking a walk. What I'm going to do is I'm going to show you how weak your God sauce is. And I'm going to show up. And and I'm going to draw that out, and I'm going to call you back to myself. That's how God rolls. And so nobody wanted to make a decision, but they were about to. Now, Elijah, he knows he's on the winning team here. And so it was really cool. There's no coin toss or anything like that. He just says, you guys go first. You guys give it a crack here. So they prepared one of the bulls and placed it on the altar. They called, uh, they called on the name of Baal from morning until noontime, shouting, Oh, Baal, answer us. Well, there was no reply of any kind. They, they danced. They hobbled around the altar that they made. I want you to see, man, they are giving it their all, man. They are worshiping. They are there. It doesn't matter how hard you try. If the thing that you're pursuing is worthless, it doesn't matter. That's right. And so they're out there making all this noise, trying to get Baal to come. And they're doing it with all their might. I can just see it in my mind. It's kind of like a hockey game. <laughs> now, I don't know much about hockey, which is why, you know, like some of you are sitting there going, I love hockey. Shut up, Michael. No, this is kind of funny. Think about this. <laughs> What is a hockey game? It's a whole lot of motion and action and very little points. That's hockey. I like points, man. I like football, six points, seven points. I like basketball, point, 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 point. So hockey, you're like, Michael, I love hockey. That's good. I'm just picking on you. It's no, just don't get mad. Well, okay, get a little mad, but it's just funny. So I see all these people going crazy. A lot of action, nothing happening. No points going on the board. Hockey's a wonderful game. Please, I don't want any nasty emails. 
They were passionate about their worship. They were serious about their worship. They were devoted to their worship. They were pouring it all into their worship. And it was killing Elijah. You know, I do not think about Elijah and think that is a humorous dude. I don't think of that about Elijah at all. I mean, I, I think of him as pretty stern. But not on this day. Elijah is killing it. <laughs> he, just, like, he, uh, he, he starts razzing them and heckling them. He was dying watching this happen. About noontime, Elijah began mocking them. <laughs> You'll have to shout louder. He's coughed. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he's daydreaming or in the bathroom. <laughs> Maybe he's away on a trip or he's taking a nap. Maybe you should wake him up, man. They're worshiping harder. They're trying harder. The oldest religion in the world. Nothing's happening. Elijah's killing it. If your God is of your own making... It doesn't matter how hard you worship. That's right. If your God is of your own making, it doesn't matter how hard you worship. So verse 36, at the usual time for the offering, the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed. So you got all these people in between. You got the prophets of Baal and Asherah all bloodied, beaten, dirty, and nasty from a day of worshiping, cutting themselves and dancing and all this stuff. And here you have Elijah who's been mocking them all day long. And he walks up to the altar. Oh Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done this, all this, at your command. Oh Lord, answer me. Answer me so these people will know that you, O oh Lord, are God, and that you have brought them back to yourself. That you have brought them back to yourself. That you have brought them back to yourself. Do you see the point of the contest? The point of the contest was not to humiliate Ahab and Jezebel, although it accomplished that. The point of the contest was to bring God's people back to God. You have to understand this, people. God isn't mad at you. God isn't trying to trip you up in life. God isn't ruining things for you. God is bringing you to Himself. It is the goodness of God that calls us to Himself. And He never stops doing that. You know, Elijah had sat there that day and they had brought the bulls on. They built the altar, put the bulls on. Then he turned the thing into a swimming pool. I didn't read that part, but it is my favorite part. In the land of drought, there's no water. He turns it into a jacuzzi for God or something at the... At that moment. Then he prays Elijah, whose name is Jehovah is God. Then he prays and asks God to do something to show that he's real. And he, so he's just asked God to show up. Verse 38 says this. Verse 30. Yeah, verse 38. Immediately, 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 the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven. And it burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, and the dust. And it even licked up all the water. In the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell face down on the ground. They cried out, the Lord, he is God. Yes, the Lord is God. 
There's two things that my little Michael Maynard brain sees in this moment. One is I see this prophet of Baal that happened to be standing off the side who had a beard, but then the fire hit and now his facial hair is scorched and he's all blackened. That's the, I don't know why I see that, but I see that, okay? I think that's a hilarious picture. Oh. The other thing I see is that I could see little old Elijah or whatever size he was. You ever heard of a mic drop? I see, bam. What you going to do about that? So maybe you can get your God out of the bathroom for a minute. Because my God answers prayer. I don't know what yours does. It's a smoldering crater. Grave a game over. God wins. There's no doubt. Why would God do this if he didn't care? That's the question. When you read these stories of God's judgment through those lenses of criticism, shame, and guilt, uh, you miss the point that many, the reason that God is doing things is because he's showing up and he's calling people to themselves. He will not leave them alone. He keeps calling them because God wanted them to know him. He wanted them to have life. And so that's the winning team. So where does that bring us today? Well, I know this is an old story and I know that... Uh, It's a cool one, and I could have really dug into a lot of parts of it, but that my point wasn't the story itself. My point is the question that was introduced in the story. Who is your God? Who do you worship? Who do you study? Who do you reflect upon? Who do you pray to? Who do you praise, and who do you evangelize about? Or what do you do those things? Today you... You have to make a decision as soon as possible in your life about who your God is. And I realize there are points in our life that, that we, want, we want to think that we can be, I don't know, uh, balanced ourselves and think, well, listen, I'm going to study all the religions and figure out which one's the best one, or, or I'm going to you know, see how God acts in my life and then I'll make a decision. What you are doing with that mindset is you are making yourself a God who's able to judge God. And, I, and so here's what I would suggest to you. I want to I ask you to consider this. I would ask you to choose the true God of the Bible. Not a God you made up. I, I want to put a little clarification there. A lot of people think they worship the God of the Bible. And what they've actually done is taken the God of the Bible and the parts of him that they like and composed the God to their liking. That's not okay. God is God. You can't change him. All right? Uh, and, and so... So what I want to challenge you to do is I want to challenge you to step on the God side of this equation and begin to look at everything you encounter in life, the classes you're going to encounter in college, the things that are going to challenge your faith ultimately, the things you're going to learn as you study different things in life. Take those things from the lens of I worship and follow the true God and let those things come in and form, but also let them fall because God is God. Nothing else is God. So you pick God and then you don't, it's not about forming a bias to confirm. It's about choosing the right side. It's about choosing the winning team. Then you begin to investigate life as an act of worship and not as a God, little g, who demands worship. Does that make sense? I know it's challenging. I get it. It begins with a simple, some simple steps though. First of all, 
we didn't really go into a gospel presentation today, but you, you enter into this life as a follower of God through a decision point. You have to, you have to make a choice, okay? The choice is, in the simplicity, the choice is, I'm God, he's God. So you choose that he's God, and when you choose that he's God, then you also realize that I myself am not, and therefore I have problems. I have all these mistakes, I like to call them. The Bible calls them sins. It makes me very uncomfortable. So I need to let go of those, confess those, and I need to enthrone God through an act the Bible calls repentance. It means bringing your mind to a different place. It means thinking higher. It means agreeing with God about what he, how he sees the world, how he sees sin, and submitting to him. That's what I want to challenge you to do. Uh, do I want you to do it today? Well, I do because I understand the time pressure because I never know if I'll ever see you again. But if you're not there, I respect that. But you have to understand, you can't just walk out of here and ignore the choice of who your God is. You can't. Oh, well, you can. But all you're doing is by neglect choosing the losing team. So choose God. Choose God. Follow God. Learn God. Reflect upon God. Pray to God. Praise God and share God. These are all how we worship. Let's pray. Father God, I don't know that I've been able to levy my argument as I had hoped. But I do know that you are good. And I do know that you're faithful. I also know, Lord, that there have been decision points in my life that I had to walk through. I pray that is, is the case today. I pray that someone is, that people are at a point that they realize, I, I got to fish or cut bait. I got to make a choice. I can't just keep living as a judge of the Almighty. And I pray, Lord God, that you strip away lenses of idolatry and that you replace them with lenses of humility. I pray that every person in this room chooses you, seeks you. I, I pray, Lord, they come in relationship with you. I pray that they own their faith and walk in that faith. I ask, Lord God, that you would, you would do this today. I, I, so many people have already prayed for and lifted up. But Lord, if I could land on this one point, who is your God? And I pray that you would help every person make that decision consciously and honestly. In Jesus' name. I'm going to be over here on my right, your left, and I'll have some folks to help me. If I can help you with this, if I can pray with you, if I can show you anything, I'll be here as we worship these last two songs.